Well, good morning. It's been a sweet morning already. If you have your Bible with you, would you please turn to Luke chapter 4, right at the end of Luke chapter 4. We're going to be reading from there. Last week, we caught a glimpse of Jesus' ministry and his prayer life. We saw how Jesus would get alone to pray. And today, we're going to be standing on a beach and kneeling in a boat. So, yeah, I dressed for it, obviously. I actually had somebody ask me, they're like, um, you're dressed for the next season. And I said, you know what? Some of us are optimists. So I feel like it's sunny enough out. I didn't actually say that because I'm not funny on the spot. But uh, I, I, you know, I, I just love, I, I do love warm weather. Uh, back when I was in seminary, I lived right outside of Memphis, Tennessee, and there was a time in my ministry, I was an associate pastor, and there was a glass company, and the CEO of the glass company, a veteran that started up the business on his own, had a partner, and then ended up owning it on his own, just a really wonderful, hardworking man. He was part of the church, he knew Courtney and me, and he loved us, and uh, he offered me a, a day job one time, just working one day. He just offered me just a quick uh, almost like a contracting type job. And so I went into the office and I helped him at his glass company. And then I ended up doing that a couple more times. And so he came back to me and said, hey, I would love to just hire you part-time. Uh, you clearly don't have enough going in your life. You're just going to seminary full-time. You're a full-time associate pastor, youth minister. And sure, you make well below the poverty line. But I, I think to help you, I would love to have you work here. And so I really enjoyed him and I enjoyed uh, working there. So I said, sure. So I got on, I got on and I, I worked there and it was my first time in that kind of environment, that office environment and I remember the first time a sales rep came to the office. Sales rep comes in and he's kind of chatting, doing his thing and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, yeah, take Jack with you and I'm like, take me, where are we going? And we're going to go out for lunch. The sales rep was gonna, gonna buy me lunch. Now, that was the kind of day in which I said, free lunch, absolutely. I don't care what it cost me, right? And so I went out to lunch with him, and it was so fun. He just paid for the meal. We talked and laughed and joked, and then we came back. He dropped me right back. It was like a taxi service. It was like free lunch and taxi, and he drops me back off of the office, and I said, you know what? That, that was a good thing. I like that. And the next time a sales rep came in, I just meandered on in front of everybody and just kind of... <laughs> I'm here, like, you know, and invited myself because they didn't ask me. I ended up going with them again. Uh, so I went out to lunch, and, but I remember one time, because I loved going with sales reps because they just want you to be happy, and so this is the best moment of my life. Uh, and so, uh, so one day I go with my buddy Jimmy. Jimmy was a guy that worked at the glass company, and he had had a rough life and rough going, not a Christian, doesn't go to church. And I've gotten to know Jimmy a little bit. And Jimmy comes with us, and I thought that was great. I'm about to have free lunch with my buddy Jimmy. This is great. We go. And while we're there eating, I get this prompting that I need to share my faith with the sales rep and Jimmy. Now, I can't tell you what they were talking about, but they were not talking about Jesus. And they didn't look like they wanted to talk about Jesus. But I knew that God wanted me to share. And guess what I did? I did not share. Not a word. We laughed and talked, and I was afraid, and I thought, mm, I'm not about to embarrass myself. Uh, you know, if, if this were a metaphorical boat, it's actually a literal boat. If this were a boat, how many of you have been in the same boat as I was in in that moment? How many of you have had an opportunity where you knew that God was wanting you to share, 
and you were too afraid. You thought, no way. Out on the, when we'd go out into the field, and I'm afraid of heights, and we're in this tall building, and we're supposed to get on this ledge, and I'm trying not to shake visibly, I had another opportunity to share with Jimmy, and, and there were some other guys around, and if you've been, ever been on a work site with men, you know they talk about not nice stuff. And I was too afraid then. I didn't want to share and uh, it's hard to share in the workplace, isn't it? Have you ever had people around you where you didn't want anybody to know you were a Christian? Right? It's embarrassing, but you've probably felt that fear before, where it's just so hard to share. And I'm bringing up that story because I think it's a great backdrop to what we're going to see in Jesus' ministry today. I'm going to start at the end of Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to catch us up. So the first few paragraphs we're reading, this is old stories, but this is just to get us into the story. I want you to see the setup. In Luke chapter 4, verse 38, we'll begin there. And Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now this is Simon Peter. You know Peter, Peter the disciple, Peter the apostle, uh, you know in the Catholic church, Peter like the first pope. You know this is the Peter. And so he goes to Simon Peter's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Remember, we talked about this the last couple weeks. They, you know, Nathan preached on this, and then I preached on uh, the last part of this. And so he's healing people, and demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. And he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And it was day, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and they would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea, or maybe your translation says Galilee. So Judea is the region around the Lake of Galilee, a major part where Jesus spent most of his ministry around this area. And that's where we left off last week. We preached about that last week, Jesus' prayer life and how he prayed and he got alone and he, he cultivated his relationship with God and he trusted in him and he renewed his strength and God gave him direction. He knew for the purpose for which he was sent. Then Luke shares about one of the occasions in which he was preaching. So if you look at the last verse in verse 44, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. There's, there's many synagogues around Judea during this time. They're small, small type towns, smaller than, than uh, Newton. But they had synagogues because that's how you knew you were an official Jewish community. And so synagogues were very, very popular. Every city, they don't care how much it taxed them, they wanted to have a synagogue. They, they would make that the nice place in town. And so there's many synagogues. And he was going around the Sea of Galilee, going around Judea and preaching in the synagogues. Then chapter 5, verse 1, the very next verse, this is all in Luke's account, the very next moment, says, on one occasion, meaning on one of the occasions which Jesus was preaching, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, Gennesaret is a technical term of speaking of the Sea of Galilee. So if you have notes, if you like writing in your Bible just to help you learn, this is the Sea of Galilee. I don't call it a sea because technically a sea is a a salt 
a body of salt water and, and, and the lake is of fresh water. But it's the lake of Galilee. That's what this is speaking of. And he was standing by the lake, lake and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now, quick question. Why were they washing their nets? Why were they what? Because when a fisherman has worked all night, when they're done, they clean their nets. They mend them and they clean them so that they're ready for the next day of fishing. It's what every contractor and good worker does. You put your tools up, you clean them off, you don't leave anything dirty and messy. It's going to rust, it's going to get messed up. And so just like any good worker, the fishermen would clean their nets and they would uh, mend them if there was any tears. They, they would try to fix them before the next day of fishing. You don't start the next, or you could say night of fishing with a bunch of work to do before you can get started. That's not a good worker. And so they were washing their nets because they were done with work. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, which I, I, I do quotes, air quotes, fear quotes too much, which just happened to be Simon's. That's how I, I read it. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So the way that this shore works, this body of water, if you go to the Sea of Galilee, you can stand in a boat in almost like a natural amphitheater because remember, this, the Lake of Galilee is low. It's actually the second lowest body of water in the world, second only to the Dead Sea. And so the, the lake is low. So when you speak, it's all science. I don't understand it. I'm just a common man. But your sound waves, what they do is they resonate with one another as it bounces off the water. It's like a natural carrier. And it makes you sound loud to where you could speak from a distance and you can still hear someone from the shore. And this was not the first time this has ever been done. This is common. You could go to Israel today and see people doing this and they do it to copy Jesus. But it works. You can speak up the hill. Everything goes up from, from Galilee. And so he put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus is preaching, that's his thing. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. Now remember, whose boat is he in? Simon Peter's, he's in Peter's boat. So he turns to Simon after he's done with his, his preaching. He says, hey, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, why is this weird that Jesus would ask him this? First of all, you have put out into the deep. This is the beginning of the day, the daytime, the sun time. Do you know why fishermen fish at night in the Sea of Galilee till to this, still to this day? The way that fish work, I guess they have their own system going. The way that fish work is during the day, they go down into the deepest parts of the sea, of, of the lake, I mean, of Lake Galilee. They go down to the deepest parts because it's cooler down there and there's more oxygen down there and there's less predators down there. So this is how it worked. The reason why fishermen don't fish in the day uh, on the Lake of Galilee is because during the day they're all gone. During at night though, the fish, somehow they know this, I don't know, God told them, they like, oh, we can go up. All the birds that would be predators are gone. Most of our predators are gone. The fishermen are gone. They would come up to the surface of the sea and then you could throw your nets over and you could catch fish because the deepest part of the Lake of Galilee is about 157 feet. It's like 48 meters low. And if you look at the, the Lake of Galilee, it's, it's like an upside-down teardrop. It's like 13 miles wide. It's about seven and a half miles long, you know, up and down. And so in the very middle of it, there's this ridge. You can kind of see a picture of it if you, if you, you can look this up online. There's deep parts of the Lake of Galilee, but no one fishes there. You want to know why? Because the fish aren't at the top. They're at the bottom. So during the day, they go down to the bottom to save themselves and protect themselves and to, to, to sleep and to have cool water that's full of oxygen and less predators. And at night is when they come up to the top. 
And so Jesus says, put out into the deep already a fisherman. Any normal fisherman would say, uh, bad idea. Jesus, are you, I'm, I'm sorry, are you a fisherman? Oh, that's right, you're a carpenter. That's right, yeah, no, this is, not, this is not a way that we fish. He says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Which nets? Isn't that interesting? This is the second time that nets have been brought up. What did Peter just get done doing with his nets? Cleaning them. Now, is any fisherman that just cleaned his nets going to go, yeah, sure, let me throw these in the dirty water so I can clean them all over again? Of course not. So everything that Jesus is telling Peter is like, eh, bad idea. Illogical, irrational, not productive, not smart, not good. Everything about this is bad idea. And Simon answered, master. That word for master, if you're a you know, if you like to study the languages, this is a unique term. It means like chief commander. It's not the same word as kurios, which means Lord. And so that's why we translate it master instead of Lord. It's the same idea as Lord, but Luke likes to use very technical terms like Gennesaret and, and epic. Anyway, there's a word that's not kurios for this, this master. And so it's a unique word that Luke uses, mainly just Luke uses. And so Simon answered master. It's like him saying, boss, you're the chief. You're, you're the boss. I, we've been with you for a little while. We've seen you. We've spent time with you. You healed my mother-in-law. Thank you. Uh, we've, we, we know you. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Why are you asking me to do this? I've already done all there is to do. And honestly, I'm the fisherman here, not you. All night. There's that undertone. If you, if you were reading this 2,000 years ago, you're thinking all this because you're familiar with the culture. We, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. So beautiful. Peter should not be doing this, shouldn't be listening to him. But he's, he's spent enough time with Jesus to know, I'm going to do this at your word. Don't forget that. So, and while they had done this, and when they had done this, so he, he lets down the nets. And it, and it says they because Peter and at least one of, probably Andrew, we don't, it's not specifically, probably Andrew was with him in the boat. They enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. There's the nets again, bringing up the nets so many times. I didn't recognize how many times nets were mentioned until you look at the original language and you have to learn words that you're not used to. It kind of pops, it's like, I've seen that word just recently. It mentions nets again and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat. Now remember, uh, Peter and his brother Andrew, or Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, were partners with James and John, the other disciples, the sons of Zebedee. And by the way, Zebedee was a major fisherman in this area, so they were like, this is their deal, this is their company, this is, this is their profession. And so they signaled over to their partners, come help us, come help us, we, we've got all these fish. So they come and they row their little boat over. By the way, uh, the boat, so this is a, definitely a different boat, different materials. But the boat, we, we have found, if you go to Israel, there's actually a whole museum, a building built right off the Sea of Galilee uh, that's built around this boat that they found it back in 1986. They found a boat in mud, and when they started taking the mud off, the wood just dissolved, turned into dust immediately. And so they're like, oh, we can't do this. So they put the mud back on it. And then they decided, how are we going to get this boat, which is clearly very old, how are we going to get it 
to where people can see it. And so they devised a pan. They, they got engineers flying in from different countries coming to the, the Sea of Galilee. They they're go there. They devise this plan. They're going to spread this foam all over, kind of like insulation. We're going to foam the whole outside. Then they lift it up with these fiberglass bars. They, they had to float it just a little bit. Then they got it onto a ferry, and then they took it off the ferry, brought it to land, and around the place they brought it, they built a building and a museum. It's still there today. You could see it. It's preserved. It's about 2,000 years old. It's about this size. There were two main uh, normal sizes of boats. There would be a boat this size that fishermen would use, and then there's a boat about twice the size of this that would have like two masts in it. It could carry a little bit more, and then there was a large vessel that they found from 2,000 years ago, but normally fishermen like Zebedee and James and John and Peter and Andrew didn't probably wouldn't have used those. So the boat was probably like this. Maybe it was one a little, almost double the size. But they're in the boats, and their boats are sinking because of how much fish they're getting. And it's just amazing. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now, Jesus is inviting Peter to do something, and Peter takes his offer. What is Jesus inviting Peter to do? He's inviting him to take a step of faith. Jesus commands him, let down your nets for a catch, which makes no sense. But this is a step of faith. This is an opportunity for Peter to say, even though this goes against everything I think, at your word, I will do this. Now, let me ask you a simple question. I'm in this boat. You've been in this boat with me before. You. What do you do when you realize that Jesus enters your boat? What do you do when you realize that Jesus has already stepped in your boat and asked you to take a step of faith? What do you do? What did Peter do? Now, Peter trusted him. I, I don't fully understand Peter's actions. If you read Peter's actions, his story just sounds normal like ours. You know, it's so, it's so interesting to watch Peter's life. But you have Jesus' command, let down your nets in verse 4. You have verse 5, at your word I'll do this, so he takes a step of faith. And then you have verses 6 and 7, this miracle catch, this impossible catch. They catch all these fish. And, and Peter begins to realize these fish are supernaturally drawn to the net. This doesn't normally happen. There is something supernatural and special happening here. And when Peter, when Simon, verse 8, and when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. They were all astonished, and Peter was terrified. He was, he was afraid. Why? Why was Peter afraid? Let's think about it. Was Peter afraid because of who Jesus is? Was he, was he afraid of Jesus? Was Peter afraid because of the fish? There's too many fish here. We're sinking our boats. This can't be good. Was he afraid because of the fish? Or was Peter afraid of what he knew that Jesus was calling him to do? Was this miracle just a foreshadowing of what Jesus had been saying to Peter and the others around him? Or, and maybe and, was Peter afraid of him himself? Peter was afraid of, of who he was. Put yourself in his shoes. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. 
When a Jew 2,000 years ago, a Jewish man would say, I am a sinful man, this is what he means. I'm unclean. I'm unqualified. I'm a dirty vessel. I'm unusable. You know, you know part of what Peter's fear was? You can't use me. I'm broken and I'm dirty. You can't use me. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I mean, think about what, what Peter has already seen Jesus do. Do you think Peter thought at this point in the ministry, oh, I can heal my mother-in-law? You know, if he could have done that, he would have done that. Or he secretly wouldn't have done that. I don't know. Depends. You know, everybody's family's different. But he could, if he would have thought he could have done it, maybe he would have done it. Maybe he would have done it. He saw Jesus cast demons out of people. Did Peter cast demons out of anybody? Not yet. Not yet. Peter was probably thinking what a lot of you think on a regular basis. You can't use me. You sense that God is telling you to do something. I'm unusable. It's not just humility and it's not purely meekness. There's a sense of reluctance and insecurity. He's apprehensive and nervous because he knows what kind of man he is. He's a sinner and sin makes us ashamed. Our natural response when we look at our own sin, and by the way, you never look at your own sin clearer than when Jesus is right next to you. When you spend time with Jesus, there is never a moment where you look at your sin and hate it more. And so Peter is ashamed. He realizes he doesn't have what it takes. Jesus is calling him to a daunting task, an impossible task. He sees this miracle and says, too big, too much, too impossible for me. I don't do this. And what's interesting is, it's his profession. You know, Peter, it took a lot for Peter to learn. A lot. Jesus, Peter has already seen some things. But Jesus had to get in Peter's job, in Peter's expertise, in what Peter knows as well as anybody in his field knows. And he had to show him something he, didn't, he couldn't even comprehend. That's what brought Peter to his knees. And I'm a sinful man. You are too good and too much for me. I'm not good enough to be used by you. And what we learn here is that when you realize that God is asking you, God is standing in your boat and he's saying, hey, cast your net on the side of the boat. And you're afraid and you think, impossible. Why? This makes no sense. What would, it, would it take a miracle for you to see so that you would just take a step of faith? What God, I think what God wants us to learn partly through this is what Peter did. Confess your fear and your self-doubt. When you know that God is calling you to do something specific, it's not just sharing your faith either. This isn't just about witnessing. This is a prime moment. This is a deciding, a determining moment in Peter's life. This is when Peter leaves everything. He had already left the boats before. He already temporarily left fishing for a little bit to follow Jesus as a rabbi. But this is the moment that we see in the Gospels. This changed everything for Peter. Confess your fear and doubt. Maybe you feel that way. God can't use you. Maybe it's a healthy, good fear like Isaiah had. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of liberals. You know, that, that wasn't his exact words. I'm just paraphrasing. I probably should. I'm probably getting in trouble right now, actually. I'm online. That's okay. 
Isaiah realized who he was. And he saw, when he looked at the king, he saw who he was. I'm unclean. And just like everyone around me, I am just as much a sinner as the people around me. Or maybe it's like Moses in Exodus. Right before you get to chapter 3, you have this encounter with Moses and God through the burning bush. And Moses gives God five excuses. And we know that they're not their excuses. We know that they're not, oh, you know, I'm just wondering because of his last excuse. Number five, he says, send someone else. And it says the, the, the anger of the Lord burned against him. Why don't you trust me? Who made the mouth? Who directed all these things? Who, who is the true king of kings and lord of lords? If you believe this, why don't you trust me? Can God use you? What do you think? It's natural to fear God's work. How scary is it to share, it your, faith, share your faith at work with your buddies, with the gals, with the guys, with your neighbors? I don't like telling people I'm a pastor. I don't. It changes the relationship instantly. They all of a sudden don't want to have a real relationship with me when they found out I'm a pastor. They don't realize how much I love them and how dark my life was before Jesus came and saved me. How much I need him. And how much I want them to know that Jesus loves them. How scary is it to share with people? You know, right now, Christians are targeted in our culture. If you, if you're, you could be anything except a Christian and you could be, you, you can be welcomed in. But if you're a Christian, you're not welcomed in. Jesus spoke about this day. I, sh- I don't, I mean, he clearly wasn't talking about just 2021, but look at Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. Jesus assures his believers and he says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. How many of you feel that way today? That just by being a Christian, you know that people hate you. They hate the name, they don't like it, they've got all kinds of judgments against you. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. When he says their fathers, he's talking about their people, religious people. Religious people were like, no, forget the Christians. They're horrible because they hated Jesus first. And Peter tell, Jesus tells Peter, don't be afraid. I want you to look at Jesus' response to Simon Peter. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid From now on, you will be catching men. You know what's interesting to me? What Jesus didn't say about Peter's sinfulness. He didn't even address his sinfulness. Isn't that interesting? I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. I knew you were a sinful man. I know who you are. You're afraid. You're afraid to answer the call. You're afraid to take the step of faith. You're afraid to follow me because of who you are not. And you're paying too much attention to you and not enough attention to me. Jesus doesn't address his sin, but instead addresses his fear. Later in Luke, it says that Jesus came not to call the righteous, but the sick. He offers Peter hope. He's telling Peter, don't be afraid From now on, you're going to be catching people. You see this miracle? You think this is amazing? 
I'm going to use you to do this with souls. You're going to catch people. What would it take for us to trust Jesus right now today, this week? What would it take for you to answer God's call this week, even this day, that he's asking you in some way, in some way he's asking you, trust me and cast your net to the side. What would it take? Would it take a miracle? Would it take him reminding you of all his promises? What would it take for you to say, at your word, I'll do it? And even though I'm afraid, even though I know who I am, I will trust you. I will trust that you have called me to be your witness. You've got to take a step of faith, and if you take the step of faith, you allow God to make an impossible catch in your life. God can do a miracle in your life if you live by faith. You, you know what the only unusable thing is in the whole Bible, Old and New Testament? The only unusable person is one of unbelief. Unbelief is the only unusable attribute. Everything else God will use in his way. God has mercy and grace and power, and he uses people like us. Unbelief is the only thing that will stop you. And so Jesus is calling Peter to follow him in just a, a little bit of a new way. You're going to be catching people. So what was Peter's reaction? Now when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I love Luke's account. Luke has a full, fuller account than Matthew and Mark. John doesn't mention this particular story. But in Luke's account, he, he mentions earlier where the, chronolo where the chronological time... Remember, Luke is a doctor, he's a physician, he's a historian, he's very detailed, he uses academic and technical words. He's very methodical in the way that he's writing. And this time it says that, and they left everything, which is different than the other accounts before, like in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, if you're taking notes, or Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. In those previous encounters, when Jesus first met Peter and Andrew, his brother, he told them, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And it says that they left their boats, they left their dad, and they left their nets. But they didn't leave everything and they ended up coming back. You can look at Jesus' story in the chronology when he, goes to, uh, when he goes to the wedding, when he goes to Nazareth, when he goes to Capernaum, when he, when he makes those rounds. Sometimes the disciples are with them, sometimes they're not. But this time, he's in their home area. They, they have to work. You know, in their day, if you don't work on, on a Monday, you don't eat on a Monday. You know, they didn't have the same kind of finances we have today. And so they worked and they followed rabbis. It wasn't like following a rabbi, someone just came and brought you lunch for free. It wasn't like they were sales reps back then. You know, you had to work. You had to actually work. And so Peter, at this point, says everything. I'm going to leave everything. And from Luke chapter 5, in this story, from this point in their ministry, Peter and Andrew and James and John do not leave Jesus' side again until his arrest. As a, matter, as a matter of fact, we don't have enough time this morning, but you can follow. There's only one other time that this story happens again, and it's the end of, of John's gospel. They go fishing again, and they're lost without Jesus. And that's for another day. It's a great story. So what Jesus is really asking each of us to do is to leave everything and follow him. What we learn from this is if, if when Jesus gets in your boat, give everything for him. Give it all for him. Leave it all for him. Be willing to give up and sacrifice everything for his sake. That's what you learn here. Give it all for him. 
Jesus performs a miracle through Peter's obedience and calls him to follow him and catch people. God asks every single one of his followers to take a step of faith in following him. All of us take steps of faith, each one of us. And maybe your hesitation is, depart from me, you can't use me, I'm unusable. But you don't have to believe that. I wrote this down and I, I just wanted to give a contrast between, just in this story, what, Peter, what you see in Peter's life in just a few verses. Peter saw and believed that Jesus could perform a miracle with the fish in the water. He just didn't believe Jesus could perform a miracle with the man in the boat. I don't know if that was an amen or not, but I'll amen it. <laughs> After Peter saw the miracle of the fish, he got on his knees, and this was the, this was the issue. He believed the miracle because he saw it. Peter saw and believed that Jesus could perform a miracle with the fish in the water. He just didn't believe Jesus could perform a miracle with the man in the boat. And Jesus had to reassure him, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching people. What about you? Do you believe that Jesus can do the impossible with you? If I were to ask you, hey, can Jesus do anything? I guarantee every single Christian in this room would say, of course, he made the sun and the moon and the stars and he could do anything he wants and he can make galaxies with his word and he could breathe it into life. He could do anything he wants. And then if I were to ask you, can Jesus use you as a light and a witness in your work at your job? I bet your answer would be a little bit different, wouldn't it? When it comes to that, you think, whoa, 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 I believe in Jesus, I just don't believe in me. You know what? Don't believe in you. If that's your issue, I believe in Jesus, I just don't believe in you, I hate to break it to you, you're actually not believing in Jesus in that moment because it's still all on you. Peter did not put his faith in himself when he left everything and followed Jesus, did he? He put all of his faith in in Jesus. And that's what he's asking us to do. I want to do something I've, I've never done before, ever, in front of a crowd of any size. I want to sing a song. I don't sing. I want to end with a song that I feel is so perfect for this story. And I'm going to turn off my mic so I don't bother you or make people write comments online. <laughs> I want to tell you the words so that you can join me this is just the words I'm not singing yet. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. I'm going to do what's very uncomfortable for me. I want to start us off, but I need you to join me. If you mean it, would you sing this song with me? All to Jesus.
you know what? That is all he wants. And uh, so let's give it to him. <laughs> let's give it to him. Let's give him what he wants. I want to pray, and then Nathan's going to send us out. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. And in the scariest moments of what you're calling us to do, we know that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for, your, for shepherding us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for loving us with a love that's deeper than words. You are the Lord. And at your word, we will do whatever you call us to do because you are worthy. So we pray in this moment, send us out to be your church. Send us out to be your hands and feet. You promise us that we will be your witnesses. We want to live in faith. We want to step out in faith. Make it so clear to each person in here what you've called us to do. And I pray for, if there's someone in here that doesn't know you, that knows they're not a Christian, but believes in you, believes in your word, knows that you are true, I pray that you would convict their heart now, set them free, raise them from the dead. I pray that the gospel would be so clear to them, that they would know that you lived a perfect life, that you died on the cross, and that you were murdered, and on the third day you rose from the dead, proving to be everything you said you were. You are God, our Savior, and so I pray that you would hear the confessions of our hearts, that if anyone doesn't know you, that you would hear as they ask you for forgiveness of their sins, and as they believe on you, would you set them free? We are your church, and we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. What beautiful truth we've sung and heard and celebrated this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is the call that he's given to you. Come follow me. Go be fishers of men. Do you believe that God has called you to join him in his work? Now, the same spirit that brought all those fish into that net is the spirit living inside of you. It's that spirit, the power of that spirit in you through which God changes hearts. That's why, you know, we can rest. It's not up to me. Peter was an expert at fishing, and he couldn't catch all those fish. So it doesn't matter uh, where, you know, ready or not, as long as you're willing, as long as you're following after Jesus, it's his desire to use you. So I want to encourage you to, to ask yourself this week, to ask God, what is holding me back? What is keeping me from following wholeheartedly after Jesus? What am I not willing to surrender right now? And ask God to break you of that, right? Ask God to take that from you. Lay it all down so that you can follow after him. As you pray this week, ask Jesus, what is the step of faith you'd have me take this week? Just the one first step to start living with everything given to you. It's our challenge for this week. And with that in our hearts and minds, I want to encourage you to stand with me as I send us out with the words of our sending. We have been motivated by the love God has shown us in Christ.
we have been united in our worship of the living God together. We have been encouraged by our fellowship with one another, and we have been equipped by the preaching of God's word. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit. In all that you do, love God boldly. In whatever family, whatever neighborhood, whatever workplace, whatever school God has placed you, love people sacrificially. In whatever stage of life you find yourself, look for opportunities to faithfully lead others to do the same. You are the church. Now go be the church. Grace, we are sent. <laughs>